The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you know by now you're absolutely in the right place. Today's buzz Spelling bee. Just hang on. I will get there and explain in just a second. We're talking about cybersecurity. We all know cybersecurity breaches in the headlines. They're still there. They still make news. And they still are striking fear in the hearts of companies, governments, and individuals all over the world. Let's talk about the business perspective. For businesses around the globe, serious issues are arising when they connect business applications with process and infrastructure applications. You all know if you're in IT, this was a big no-no. But now here we are. We have the fourth technology revolution. We have the Internet of Things, and businesses are doing it. So some key questions arise. What does cybersecurity really mean? What did it mean in the beginning? What does it mean today? We're in August 2015. We'll do some defining and spelling. Aha, that's where the spelling bee comes in. And with today's advanced persistent threats, write that down, important APT, advanced persistent threats, and zero-day exploits, we'll define those. How do you secure access between, well... Sensors that are 30 years old and sometimes Internet protocols like HTTP are not supported, that's a gap as well. And what level of security is needed when sensors want to talk to each other and pass data between themselves? A lot to talk about. We've invited back our wonderful panel of cybersecurity experts. I'll just give their names quickly, and then we'll start with the quotes. We have Gerlinda Zabolski from SAP joining us again, Hillel Zafir from the HMS Technology Group, and Richard McCammon at Delego Software. Delighted to have them back. This is actually a part four such a big topic. So let's get started. Gerlinda Zabulski, I am going to read your quote, and this is where the spelling bee comment comes in. Gerlinda poses the following question. What is cybersecurity? And then she goes on a spelling quest. C-Y-B-E-R-S-E-C-U-R-I-T-Y. Well, if you play the, the little juggling game, you get CRY, C-R-Y-B-E, security. You can also get Secret Icy Ruby. I'd like to know what jeweler is selling that one, Gerlinda. You can get Ice Curry Bites. I think we need to go to a good Indian restaurant for those. And the last one is I-Rut, R-U-T, by Secrecy. Very interesting. Gerlinda, welcome back. When did you decide to go on a spelling quest with the word cybersecurity? How are you? (laughs) I'm very well, thank you. (laughs) Well, I mean, this was... uh... This is a, a, a question that I get all the time, yeah, when uh, customers come to me and uh, g- give me a talk about cybersecurity. Um, I always ask them back, well, what do you want to hear? Uh, what, what is the topic that you want to talk about? 
And so I just decided, oh, I'm going to take this word, cybersecurity, and throw it into an anagram generator. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to do that. And this, these were some of the very funny things <laughs> this anagram generator um, uh, came out. And I think it's high time that we discuss this topic and what this really means and, and, and what this is and what you should care about. Gerlinda, very interesting uh, that it means different things to different people, probably different industries, probably people at different stages of their IT awareness. Let me just ask you, can you give us a one-sentence definition of right now today, it's August 12, 2015, what does cybersecurity mean to most people when they hear the word? And it, it's frightening when it's breached. So what, what do you think it means? Well, to most people, I would assume it means just security in general, IT security. What it should mean... Um, to make it crystal clear is what what is the what what does the security f- when you um, when you re- uh, connect uh, IT infrastructures with operational processes that, that's what I think it should mean I think at the moment it still means anything uh, in security okay thank you big word big term and we've got a lot to talk about welcome back let's welcome Hillel Zafir from the HMS Technology Group and Hillel and I had a discussion about what he wanted his quote to be and he believes it's time to go back to the basics so I suggested the lyrics from the song Do Re Mi sung by Maria and the Von Trapp children in the movie and the play The Sound of Music so here are the words let's start at the very Hillel I will not sing it I promise let's start at the very (laughs) beginning a very I don't want to scare anybody Let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. When you read, you begin with ABC. Hillel, welcome back. How are you? I am doing absolutely amazing. I'm glad. You're always doing absolutely amazing. So let's talk about the meaning of this quote that we cooked up together. And it's amazing to me that I even remembered the words from so long ago, but some things just stick in your head. So uh, talk to me. What do you mean by starting at the very beginning? What's your basic premise about cybersecurity? So I'm going to go back to the question you asked, uh, Gerlinda. What does the cybersecurity mean to most people? And in my experience, uh, the companies that I deal with, it means something that other companies have to worry about. I'm safe. It won't happen to me. So cybersecurity to them is something that's this big mountain that they want to forget about. They want to just shove it under the rug. Uh, and by doing that, they forget that, you know, good fences make good neighbors. Some simple stuff. We don't have to go to the advanced crazy, uh, high-powered firewalls and intrusion prevention, which I think is something that all companies should have, and they're not expensive these days. They're simple to implement. Uh, We're not talking about uh, uh, 1990. This is something that's available to any uh, small, medium company. Um, But by going back to the basics and stop, you know, like, don't worry about the... uh, the most the crazy stuff, the, the, the advanced hackers. Let's talk about what you can do in your business day-to-day. Just to simplify things, set certain protocols in place um, that isn't, you know, mountains. We're just talking about basics. And if you go to the basics and you, and you build out that basic protocol and you build on top of that, it's not that scary. Well, we want to make sure people aren't scared. Thank you, Hillel. Richard McCammon at Delego, welcome back. And here's an interesting quote from DDE. Those of you and us who grew up in the era when I was a kid remember Dwight Eisenhower. And here is the quote, a former U.S. president, and here's the quote. We will bankrupt ourselves in the vain search for absolute security. Richard, you and I both know Dwight Eisenhower wasn't around in the days of the – there was no Internet that were 
no cell phones. There were no cyber anything. It wasn't even a word. So how did he know so much back then? Welcome, Richard. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be back. Yeah, I, I found that quote quite interesting because, I mean, of course, we're talking about cybersecurity, and this quotation came up, and I, I think it deals with the, the whole definition of security and what is security, and I found it relatively interesting um, based on Gerlinda's definition, and, and we've got some talking points that I presented as well, that, that I don't think cybersecurity is all that well-defined. And so I'm not sure that expanding it hasn't taken place in everybody's mind to even greater things than the than security in general. And so uh, I think President Eisenhower was not necessarily ahead of his time, but he certainly understood the concerns that we all have about security. And you know we can take it from the government here in Canada. We're in an election, and so we're talking a lot about personal security as well as national security. And it all filters down from there. Cybersecurity ends up being just an element of the entire security, uh, the entire security world. Richard, thank you. Uh, very interesting. I uh, I was remiss. I didn't call DDE Ike. That's what we called him back. Remember the old slogans? I like Ike. Were you around then, Richard? Were you? I uh, not not really, and I wasn't interested in American politics very much at that time. Oh, well, you're Canadian. I will forgive you for that. Eisenhower was the 34th president of the United States, and he was a five-star general in the U.S. Army during World War II and supreme commander of the Allied forces in Europe. And interestingly enough, he was born in 1890. That certainly goes back to another era and another time. Thank you very much, Richard. Uh, I think we have a, a... an interesting panel today, my same panel for part four here, but I sense that we've got some disparate views, which I love. So we're going to have a good, a good, hearty and heated conversation. I like that. I'm going to circle back to Gerlinda and ask, you know, Gerlinda, what's in your cup today? What are you drinking or what are you thinking about drinking after the show? So let's hear a little bit about you. <laughs> so um, what I'm drinking, I don't know if I can uh, disclose that without um, uh, doing a security <laughs> breach or a, uh, a branding breach or something. So ha- Germany is suffering from a heat wave, and today we only have 95 degrees Fahrenheit. And by the way, I'm privately I'm moving houses, and on Friday we had 105 degrees <gasps> Fahrenheit, which was the highest temperature ever recorded since the since they take temperature recording, which is like 160 years or something like that, so I'm having a cold drink, not the usual soft drink, not the usual coke, um, not the usual caffeine, but this mm-hmm. is something that a very well-known um, soft drink company specifically makes for the German market uh, or the German-speaking market. It's half lemon juice and half cola. Lemon and it tastes and what very is it, well. What is it called? Does What's it have it a called? name? Yeah. Mezzo Mix. <laughs> and now you can guess who the company is, and now I... Uh, <laughs> now I will oh get my. in trouble... Oh, my good. Very, very. No, you're not going to get in trouble at all. We mention brands on the show all the time. No, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. Very, very interesting. Well, I'm, gl- I'm glad that the heat is abating. I've been hearing uh, through our colleagues in Germany, you and I both work for SAP, and we've been hearing on team calls about the heat wave. Uh, we've had our own version of that here uh, in New York. I know Hillel's probably been, oh, he's been in Israel, but he's uh, probably been suffering a little bit since he came back. And we, we'll get a weather report from Richard in Canada in just a second. Thank you, Galinda. Drink up, take a sip, and stay cool. And best wishes on your move. That's, uh, yeah, those are tough times. You're very brave to do that. Hillel, you're back. 
what are you drinking today or what are you going to drink after the show? Yeah, right now I'm drinking just a cup of cold water, nothing more. But uh, what I've been drinking after the show, uh, like you said, I just came back from a trip to Israel. And I've discovered a small winery uh, nestled on the top of uh, a mountain about 900 meters above sea level. And I found this amazing Cabernet Sauvignon. The winery is called Tanya Winery. And this Cabernet was something unbelievable. It was just a, a fantastic bottle. And obviously, I had to bring some back with me to the U.S. So hopefully after the show or actually after the end of the day, we'll sit down to a nice dinner with a, a cup of, uh, you know, a nice glass of water. I'm going to be coming to Brooklyn tonight to share that <laughs> bottle with you. Is that Tanya, T-A-N-Y-A? Is that is it that Tanya? Is Tanya yep. Hallel Cabernet, the Kosher Wine Review. There's a review. Uh, it's dry red wine from Israel. Tanya Hallel Cabernet Sauvignon Merlot blend, and it's on YouTube. YouTube, the Kosher Wine Review number 84 from 2010. There you go, Hallel. We have found our place in the sun here for your wine. Thank you very much for sharing, and welcome back. Richard McCammon, where in Canada are you? What time of day? And uh, what's the temperature? Let's do a weather report. <laughs> well, I'm in London. So, uh, London, oh. Canada first. Oh, gosh. <laughs> London, Canada. As I always say, the, uh, the Brits, when they came over, weren't very imaginative. I'm, I, live in, I live outside London, work in London. I'm just down the street from Paris. We sit on the Thames River, and I go to the theater in Stratford. <laughs> we just got a geography lesson we didn't plan on here on Coffee Break. You're serious? You have all of those places in Canada? Seriously? Oh, yeah. They're all within about 60 kilometers of here. So it's, it's I had no idea. London and Paris and the Thames. Wow. Well, you sh- let's just say, Richard, you sure get around. <laughs> without a passport and without too many security issues. That's great. So what are you drinking? Well, of course, we're going to keep it in, in kind, aren't we? If I'm living in London and working out of London, then I'm going to have a cup of tea. I'm going to have a cup of but a it's cuppa. Be, it's going to, I'm going to have a cup, yeah. Um, and it's got to be brewed properly, though. That's the whole key to uh, to tea. And that's, that's, I'm very fussy about the the brewing mechanisms. When I go into a restaurant, you can't just have a you know a tea bag sitting beside the pot and dunking mm-hmm. it in. That's that's just a recipe for disaster. No, it's got to be hot water poured over the tea leaves, brewed properly. And uh, as I say, you've got to have the milk in first. The lemon in last, and the sugar never. Really? And what's the temperature of the water? I know that's part of the secret of a great cup of brewed tea. So any any specifications? Black tea has to be a rolling boil. Ah, there we go. And anything about the, the density of the china in the cup? I assume you need a very fancy cup for this perfect cup of tea, yes? Ah, all the better, but the more important is you have to have the teapot, and it's got to be warmed before you actually uh, pour any of the the, uh, ingredients in, so the tea or the hot water. So the pot has to be warm, because otherwise what you do is you're cooling the water as it's steeping, and that will just cause bad tea. And the same with the milk. That's why it's got to go in first. If you pour the, the milk into the tea, you're going to curdle the milk, and make the tea taste bad. So you want the uh, you want the milk in first, then pour the tea on top of that, and then you're good to go. 
We have a tea perfectionist on the show today. I didn't. I don't think I knew that about you, Richard. You never know. I will have to invite you back for part five, and we'll find out even more. And I didn't know there was a Paris, Canada, and a Thames in Canada. Very interesting. Guess what? I'm going to give you all a break. Hopefully, the pause that refreshes Gerlinda, Hillel, Richard. Go take a sip of something wonderful. We're going to come right back. Our topic today is data security breaches, part four. Wising up to real-life impacts. We're going to be, again, dissecting the word cybersecurity and talk about how overhyped is it, what is the reality. Gerlinda's going to help us with zero-day exploits and all of those big words I used in the opening, including advanced persistent threats. What are they? What do they mean to you and your company? What can you do about them? We'll get back to basics with Hillel, and Richard is going to add everything else. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are, and we're back with Gerlinda Zabolski at SAP, Hillel Zafir at HMS Technology Group, and Richard McCammon at Delego Software. We're going to start doing a little more definitions. Time to talk about the meaning of cybersecurity and all the good things that come with it, and I use good advisedly in quotes with a question mark, of course. Gerlinda, in my opening, I talked about zero-day exploits, talked about advanced persistent threats. Rather than me reading definitions, I'd love to have you explain them so our audience knows. What are they? To whom do they apply? Should we be worried about them? Are they already here? So why don't you go ahead, Gerlinda? Sure. Um, So zero-day exploits. um, At the end of the day, that's an exploit that is still unknown. It's a security vulnerability. It's a security hack that is unknown to the software manufacturer. And note that this can also be um, an open source community. It can be a group of um, software developers that have um, agreed to um, develop some some code and made it available in open source to anybody. Um, and this zero-day exploit could be within that open source. So it's, it needn't be um, a, um, a software manufacturer. And the problem is that since this co- uh, security vulnerability is unknown to the software manufacturer and to the public, uh, an attacker that knows this 
can mm-hmm. exploit it at their heart's content and can even sell it. There is a black market out there. Um, software vulnerabilities are sold to um, all sorts of, of, uh, of uh, people, and they go at various prices. Um, and since they are unknown, um, neither the users, yeah, neither the companies that have implemented them, nor the software manufacturer knows about it, so nobody's fixing it. Uh, fixing it. So it takes um, time until either um, a security researcher or the software developers themselves find this vulnerability and fix it. Interesting, Gerlinda. It, it, this sounds insidious. It sounds like there's a secret that if you go on the dark web and more and more of these cyber TV shows, the cyber crime shows, are talking about the dark web. Is that where you would find the black market for hawking and selling and making money off of supposedly not any more secret software vulnerabilities? Would it be on the dark web or you don't take an ad out on, on uh, Craigslist and say, hey, guess what I discovered on the Jeep software? H- how do they advertise these? Not on the dark web nor on Craigslist, but there are companies out there that advertise it on their own website. Um, we, we once had an interaction with such a company where they wanted to sell a, an SAP vulnerability, and of course we, we we saw that website and we got in touch with them, and at first they said, well, you can buy it, and said, no, we're not going to buy it. We are SAP. We want you to disclose this to us, and we uh, we got in contact with them, and Negotiated, but things like that, uh, um, they, they they are advertised on on their the company's websites. I I am shocked. I, I'm absolutely shocked. I thought it was something uh, mysterious about it. So it's out in the open. That's there's a word I'm not going to use in polite company here, but it ends with S Y, and I think Hillel knows what it is. Wow, very very interesting. And what about advanced persistent threat, Gerlinda? Why I have you? So they are somewhat related to the zero-day exploits. Advan- uh, when when we, the all, all of these security vulnerabilities started, they started with viruses and worms and trojans. Um, word got, got around pretty quickly um, about these, and you knew you were affected. But um, the, the newest way and the most um, advanced way is these advanced persistent threats. Um, Major organizations that have tons of money and tons of resources um, write these and use these. Um, they're usually combined with zero-day exploits to, um, yeah, to find out uh, to uh, about certain things, and they use their their vulnerabilities to whatever it is that uh, that they're uh, they're after. Gerlinda, do you think there's a romantic side to all this? You know, hey, I can do this and somebody will make a movie about me. Wow. I mean, some kids living somewhere in a third world country who has Internet access, hearing this or reading about this, saying, hey, I want to be the next one to, to create a zero-day exploit and I'm going to make a killing out of it, and that means the money side of it. Is there any glamour to this that's a danger in talking about it? Before I bring Hillel and Richard into this, just wondering. No, uh, and okay. maybe in Hollywood somebody wants to would would make a movie out of that. But the times um, for for glorifying this are are over. Uh, I mean, there is still a security researcher community, of course, out there that are trying to find security vulnerabilities, including advanced persistent threats. Um, and they, of course, if they are 
um, the company, they, they try to, to make themselves known, but there is no romantic side to this. APTs are really something that is, whoever creates them is not interested in having the word out. They want this to be completely a complete stealth operation. They don't want to be uh, known, and they want, don't want the APT known, that's for sure. Okay, thank you very much. Hillel, thoughts on this? We've covered a couple of good definitions here with Gerlinda. What do you think? I think that uh, she gave a very good definition of both the zero day and the APT. Uh, I think that this is something that uh, is known, and a lot of it is unknown, exactly that the some of these zero-day threats, uh, until you, you get to know about them, it's either through you know, some hacker found some loophole or hole in, 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 a, in a software, uh, and obviously that can be some little too late. Um, as far as you saying about romanticizing it, I think there there is some of that a little bit, but uh, most of it, is, it doesn't exist anymore because we realize today how scary it is. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there's the monetary side of things. You know, you can always make money. If I could sit behind a computer and uh, get into someone's system and figure out how to monetize it, then I'll be going for that. So there's a different component to both the... Uh, Zero day and the APTC, how um, you know how it's used and what, what's the ultimate goal? What's the objective with these? Okay, Richard McCammon, thoughts on this? Well, I'm, I'm not sure that I agree on the uh, the concept that it's not uh, something that people want to get notoriety for. Um, I think that there is a, a black market definitely out there for it, and I think that the way that people make the money and the way that they get the uh, they they elevate themselves within that industry is by getting that notoriety. Now they're not getting the notoriety to Hollywood, but certainly within their in, in their industry they are. They have to, otherwise they're out of business. Um, unless you are able to sell, it's no different than the rest of us in business. You have to market yourself. You have to present yourself. You have to be seen as the individual who can develop those threats, who can get them on the get them out there so that people can use them and monetize on it. Otherwise, it's just a waste of time, and um, these, these threats are, are incredibly difficult to develop and, and deploy. Mm-hmm. And unless you get them out there, um, there's no way you're going to make any money on it. So there is, there is a notoriety. It's just that we don't see it. And it's the same thing, uh, bringing it back to a little closer to my home, uh, in the credit card industry, we can go out, and there there are sites where you can go and buy this. Uh, you know, we can buy credit cards. We, it's a business, and the same thing is true of these uh, of these threats and these analyses. Thank you, Gerlinda. Any thoughts before I move on to something from Hillel's notes? Yeah, I mean, I, t- I totally understand where Richard is coming from. Of course, those companies that are in that business. Yeah, of uh, of uh, creating or finding security vulnerabilities and selling them. As I said, they they offer them on their website. <laughs> they create, they're they're not using uh, any of the, the the usual places, but they're just offering them on their website, and they are trying to market that. Of course, they are trying to um, create a uh, yeah. They are trying to be known. I agree to that, but uh, they're also major organizations that try to, to keep um, as quiet about it as possible, and they don't sell. They, uh, they have their own security research team, and they just leverage it. 
So it's not a great career choice unless you're really aware that you have to keep it quiet and go about it, and it might not be that easy to do it anyway. Very interesting. Um, thank you. Hillel, I'm looking at your notes here. Shall we talk about the, the uh, fortune headlines about the Sony hack? Would you like to talk about that a little bit? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Go it goes back to my it goes back to my uh, theme, back to the basics. Uh, mm-hmm. And a lot of the in this report uh, talks about uh, not advanced threats or not it, how how the actual uh, uh, intrusion happened. It wasn't by uh, you know exploiting that many vulnerabilities. It's it's a, it was about easy access. It was about having the ability to get into the system through a simple mechanism. Uh, and some of the headlines uh, speak specifically about how their uh, IS department didn't have protocols in place to protect the workstations when users would get up and go get a coffee. So anyone, and the specific term that they use, the janitor could have walked over and uh, logged himself into the any system that, that was open in front of him because the workstation was exposed. It wasn't, it wasn't secured. Uh, that's what I, I keep on saying about going back to the basics. There are basic fundamentals that need to be taken into account when you talk about securing uh, a network. Obviously, there's uh, advanced uh, firewalls and intrusion prevention systems and gateways and different types of layers of security, but we need to also talk about the basics because if we look at the advanced without looking at the simplified, uh, we're missing a lot of uh, simple vulnerabilities where we don't have to go to zero day or to APTs. We can just a simple... A simple uh, non-complex password uh, where, you know, like uh, we talked about in the past, but the password is password. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't need to go to the advanced stuff. We can go to the simplified. And I, I always say I'm, 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 I'm a big fan of the KISS method. They keep it simple, stupid, right? Uh, let's keep it simple. Let's, let's worry about uh, basic uh, uh, security, uh, especially if you have external contractors that are coming in and doing work. Make sure that those... Either they're coming into uh, SSL VPNs, uh, definitely deploy a two-factor authentication, uh, make sure that passwords have to be changed uh, within certain time frames, implement complex passwords. These are simple stuff that can be done uh, before we get to the, you know, let's start with ABC, as you say. Hillel, question for you. Are you implying, are you coming right out and saying that, in quotes, I'm quoting me, uh, interpreting you, to a company that gets hacked, it's your own damn fault? You should have been more careful. You should have stuck to the I, basics. You should have been forced everything. In, in, I agree in the case of the high-profile attacks that we've seen. Uh, uh, most of them were stuff that was completely uh, negligence on the part of the company. Absolutely. Okay. Richard McCammon, thoughts on getting back to the basics. The KISS principle, are people not enforcing the simplicity of protecting whatever their their intellectual property is and their systems and just getting lazy and stupid? What do you think, Richard? Well, I think in a lot of cases that's true. Um, I'm going to extend it, though. I mean, our systems are getting so complex. Um, the number of laptops, the number of devices, and, and it's not just workstations anymore they're sitting on it's it's all our mobile phones it's our mobile devices laptops the the whole nine yards and so it's it's getting to the point where it's getting more and more difficult to to identify and and close all those holes once we find once there's a breach and we find that one router in the entire network that happened to be opened then yeah it becomes it becomes fairly obvious that that was a stupid mistake but again, I go back to my quotation at the beginning where we said that if we continue to do all of this, it just gets so frightfully expensive 
that we can't have absolute security. It just doesn't happen. Uh, it's the vain approach to the whole thing. So I agree that getting back to the basics, getting back to the, the simple concepts is, are where we need to go. But it, because cybersecurity is expanding on all of that, because it's getting more complicated, all of these things, we need to make sure we've got the simple things taken care of, agreed. Um, but it's going to be also we have to start building on that to get to the, the higher levels. And ultimately, because we can't secure everything, it's probably mm-hmm. going to be the simplest one that gets us in the end. Interesting. I, I just had a comment, uh, a Skype chat here with Karen Geraldo, who follows the shows. I believe she's in, in Canada. I think she works for Deloitte. And Karen just made a comment that the Sony hack did. It, it did come out with some good results because there was a particular actress who saw the confidential salary negotiation emails at the company and realized that her male co-stars in a particular film were making a heck of a lot more money than she was. She didn't know this, so she renegotiated her contract. So we could say some good came out of exposing secrets and lies, but that's a whole other topic. Gerlinda, I want you to talk about these getting back to basics. What do you think? Is it their own damn fault? And then, Gerlinda, I want to make sure before we finish the show, we have to talk about the 30-year-old censors not having modern Internet protocols and what's happening behind the scenes. But what do you think about the basics that Hillel is uh, sticking to? Gerlinda? I think, unfortunately, it is true that a lot of the security vulnerabilities um, and security uh, hacks that happen are based on missing configuration, missing implementation of already available security patches. Um, So that's definitely true. Um, There is this theory out there that, um, for example, complicated encryption, encryption algorithms do not get broken. They just get circumvented. And this is very often something very... Easy, as I said, putting um, systems out there in the internet without ha- and have still having the administrative user open with the initial password that was delivered by the software manufacturer. Huh, that's like, yeah, you can put the key in the do- into into your door outside, and then you d- you shouldn't wonder why somebody walked in. Um, but there is also this, uh, there are, are cases, uh, Stuxnet, Dooku, very, very sophisticated attacks. Security is complicated. It's, it's complicated to develop software securely. So you have both. You have this, you missed something on something very simple, and it's, it's good advice to stick to the, to the simple thing, things. But we see more and more of these very complicated and very sophisticated um, a text with a lot of a uh, lot of insider knowledge. So thank you. I see both. Okay, thank you very much, Gerlinda. I'm going to move this to some comments here. A reality check, Richard McCammon. You talk in your notes about risk management, and you say the absolute. No data can be absolutely secure. Since this is, seems to be a fact, and I, I think I agree with that, you must analyze the risk when the data is lost or compromised. So how does a company do this today, Richard? Do you have to go through every piece like, like Sony did? Well, we've got negotiations. We've got uh, secrets about bad-mouthing some of our rockets, our rockiest rock stars in our movies. We've got all kinds of stuff in our email system. What would happen if somebody hacked our email system? Well, here is the downside and here's the upside. Do you think a big company like Sony took the time to think about what is the risk of email exposure? Richard, talk to me. Well, I think 
I think everybody thinks about it at some level or another. I think where I was trying to go with the with the concept of risk analysis is um, a man I admire a great deal always says that risk is composed of two elements. There's what's the eventuality that the occurrence is going to happen, so that's the probability side of it, and then what's the damage that's going to be that will happen as a result of that. So, and that's the financial side. So what you get is when you multiply those two factors together, it becomes that's the, the basis of the risk analysis. So in the case of email, if someone were to hack my email, um, probably wouldn't be a big deal to me. Um, you know, I keep, I keep all my correspondence relatively professional. Uh, there are slips every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But the, those sorts of things, so if someone yeah, were to hack Richard, that, Richard, financial... sorry that I, that I chime in here. That's what yeah. you say now. Imagine. Yeah. Yes. I'm a German. I come from Germany. We have, uh, well, we had like a very bad history 70 years ago. What if your government changes all of a sudden and all of a sudden you are the target because you have written something in your email? I think that's, I don't have to hide anything. That's a comment that I think, well, maybe not now, but who knows when. You know, well, it, you, make, you make a good point along those lines, but I mean, I, I think that's, again, back to the what's the impact and what's the probability. Um, right now, the probability of us getting into a, in a government, to use your example, a government forum that's going to be that audacious is probably not going to happen. I mean, we can discuss Harper and, and the, the other candidates that are running camp right now, but I think that will save that for another show. The, but you're right. I mean, there, there is the attitude that it won't affect me, um, but that's where I'm going with the whole risk analysis, is that mm-hmm. you have to measure not only the risk uh, or not only the probability of it happening, but what's the financial impact. And so in, in the case of the email for my company right now, if someone were to hack my email, probably not a huge financial impact that the company would take. I might take a personal hit, but the company probably wouldn't. The probability that it gets mm-hmm. hacked, now we start talking about all the things that you were talking about, Gerlinda, you know, the, anything from the simplest passwords all up to these uh, advanced techniques that are being used to, to try and, and get at my email. Now, let's turn the coin. You start talking about credit cards, again, part of the industry I live in. Uh, if someone were to get into our credit card vault and start stealing credit cards, I mean, we spend a great deal of time, money, effort to make sure that that's absolutely rock solid because if someone does get into there, it would ruin the company. Um, so the probability, the financial impact is, is huge, and we're doing everything possible to keep that minimized. So I, I think when we're doing all of this, uh, we have to keep in consideration all of the, um, those two elements on everything we analyze down the line, because otherwise what happens is we can bankrupt the companies, we can even bankrupt nations if we try and achieve that absolute security. Mm, interesting. I like the back and forth. Uh, Hillel, you want to chime in on this comment about what you, think is a, what you think is a neutral or a benign email today could end up biting you in the you-know-what at some future point? I don't That's think maybe... anything is benign uh, in yep. the right hands. It could become a uh, deadly weapon. Um, whether it's a simple email or it's a uh, communication with a customer, uh, you may not see today all the possibilities, but I believe that every single piece of information that is communicated via email or even in your CRM system between you and your uh, leads or prospects or customers, there is somewhere down the line, even if you don't see the dollar amount on the front end, uh, there's always somewhere that's going to come back and hurt you financially, 
uh, obviously, I, I agree with Richard to an extent that you have to do a risk uh, analysis and see where to invest your time and effort. But ultimately, any piece of information that's, in, that, that's uh, proprietary to you and to your company from a personal level and from a uh, commerce level uh, can hurt you. You may not see all the scenarios today, but you know what? In the right hands, it could be a dangerous weapon. Yes, in the right okay, hands, they will. Go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to jump in here. Is that where do we draw the line? I mean, you know, again, it's that whole concept of of risk being that that combination of financial risk as well as the probability risk. I mean, we have to start drawing the line at some point, And at what point do we draw it? Is it is it with email? Is it with credit cards? Is it with um, as you say, your CRM systems? We have to be looking at and getting back, as you said, a little to the basics and where do we start? Where do we start drawing those lines? Because if we keep analyzing everything we're doing, we're going to go bankrupt. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. Interesting. We have to keep moving forward in some way. I, I agree. Gerlinda, I want to bring in the concept of the IoT to add on to everything we're talking about, the hackability of things, sensors being connected. And I mentioned to all of you, I think I have it here somewhere, there's an op-ed in the New York Times from August 10th, 2015, by a writer named Zaynep. I'll spell that Z-E-Y-N-E-P, last name. Uh, I'll just spell it, T-U-F-E-K-C-I. And uh, she's talking about, the title is Why Smart Objects May Be a Dumb Idea, talking about the Jeep that was recently hacked in in broad daylight by some hackers and and some reporters, some IT reporters on purpose. Uh, She says the early Internet was intended to connect people who already trusted one another, like academic researchers or military networks. It never had the robust security that today's global network needs. So let's talk about that. Gerlinda, connecting smart sensors here and there. The people who were making these connections, are we really that smart about what's going to happen and the vulnerabilities that come thereof? Yeah, it's, it's, we are living in interesting times. No? That's uh, that's the famous curse. No? So <laughs> we will see a lot of things when you connect sensors, and that's going to happen. Um, we see that more and more in the home space, but this is also going to happen in the in the industrial space. A lot of security problems are still unsolved. If you just uh, think about um, two sensors, sensor A and sensor B, and they're trying to exchange data, and sensor A lets for the sake of it, let's assume it's a sensor in an atomic power plant. Sensor A says, dear sensor B, I want to exchange data with you, and it's very important uh, the temperature is already rising in my, um, my power plant. And sensor B says, comes back, well, sensor A, I don't know you. You have to authenticate yourself and really identify yourself. And sensor B, uh, sensor A gets back. Okay, here is some information. I have an electronic certificate, uh, but uh, be quicker because it's already uh, the the um, temperature already rose another ten degrees, uh, and so forth. And you can you can get the, you you can get my meaning, right? When sensors want to talk to each other, there are certain situations where the the information has to be just exchanged quickly in a whim without any um, any lack, any time lag, and certain security features like encryption is always creating a performance issue. This will always mean that the communication will be slower. If you really want to enforce um, authentication, this will um, enforce um, security-rich protocols. That's how one uh, architect once named it here. 
where data information about identity is exchanged. You can do that. You can implement that, but definitely not on 30-year-old sensors that don't speak the, the common Internet protocols like HTTP, HTTPS. So there will be situations which have to be very clearly defined where you really have to, um, to do without security or implement security at a different level in this whole Internet of Things connectivity um, and there will be situation at home where you, where you don't want that even. Um, so this whole thing has to really, really be thought through. To me, it's absolutely not so, so uh, thought through, and there are tons of things that are still open and need to be addressed by academia and then later by the uh, software manufacturers. Thank you. Hillel, thoughts on this? I say that with the uh, notice race that we have to have, uh, 100% automation and data collection on everything from uh, temperature usage and, 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 and it is a monetary gain, obviously, to all this because you want to make sure that the organizations have certain rules. They want to cut down the greenhouse gases, whatever it is. We have this, this uh, uh, unbelievable drive to, to get as much information about everything that we do Wherever it is, if it's in a shop floor or it's in, up, it's, it's in, a, it's in a, a, a manufacturing plant, everybody wants to see and everybody wants to hear what's going on. I agree that, um, you know, the security doesn't come along with it, but I'm, I'm, a, little, I'm a little skeptical about the title in the, the, the uh, New York Times article, the op-ed that you wrote, it, if it's a dumb idea. I, I think that the idea of having data collection points is obviously going to make us a smarter smarter as we go along, smarter in our decision process, whether it be healthcare, whether it be uh, manufacturing, whether it be uh, consumption of energy. Um, but what needs to be, like Linda said, we need some, you know, a deeper look into how the IOTs uh, and how these sensors communicate. Um, yes, there is an issue that it slows down some of the communication if we expect security protocols, but if for lack of the protocol that has the, the proper speed, Doing nothing, that's a dumb idea. Mm. Richard McCammon? Well, it's interesting that uh, Gerlinda was talking about sensors and atomic plants because um, I'm a chemical engineer by training with automation as my specialty. That's what I did to my master's degree. And so I started working in the pulp and paper industry, working with sensors and computers and automation. And it was just at that time we were bringing out a lot of these smarter sensors. So uh, what we had at that time was a, a technology that was based on, on communicating in a ring, and each person got a token and was able to communicate once they got that token. And we decided, ultimately, um, we being industry and, and society, to go to a, a technology that's actually weaker in the way that it can communicate, and that's the Ethernet. That's the, the whole concept behind the Ethernet. And so... I'm wondering at what point do we need to start pulling everything down to almost rebuild it so that all of these smart sensors begin to talk different languages in different ways and we have different ways of communicating because in order to be able to, to restart, in order to be able to make things smarter ultimately, maybe we have to get right back to the, the beginning and rethink everything. The Ethernet, um, and that's what the whole World Wide Web is built on, all, everything we're using to communicate with, even the phone we're talking over right now is based on the Internet. Maybe we have to really go back to the very beginning and start again and take a look at all of the technology, take where we um, came from, learn all of those lessons, and then rebuild everything from scratch. 
Thank you, Richard. And I'm going to read some of the notes you sent me, which really crystallize what we've been talking about. You say data is the new currency, and so, too, it is the new target for thieves. And back in the day, which probably is going on right now, the day, uh, thieves, thieves would steal things, tangible things, money, art, gold, jewelry, computers, equipment, something you could carry and lift. Now they're stealing identities, credit card numbers, social insurance numbers, addresses, internationally in the business world. World. They're stealing patents, technology, and national secrets. So the shift of the word valuable is right there before our very eyes. Richard, any comment on that? Well, yes. I mean, the, the whole concept of, of what's valuable is, has changed. Uh, we never used to think of, of stealing someone's mail so that we could get their name and address and social insurance numbers and, and all the rest of it. Um, but that's happening every day now um, because identity is very valuable. So we've, we've changed the whole concept of what's valuable, and the moment we've done that, we changed the idea of what is a currency and what is, what is out there. Um, what we need to do is, is start looking at it from that value proposition that we may not be able to put an exact value on, the, on an identity, but people are doing that. People are putting the values on a credit card number. They're putting it on an identity. They're putting it on... Um, any number of different things that are, are coming down the, the world. And, and, and we, we've got to take a look at that from that perspective. And I go back again, there is the financial part of the risk analysis that we need to perform. Because it is that currency, things are more valuable than perhaps we ever gave uh, credit for it before. Because we just don't think in those terms, whereas the thieves today are thinking in those terms. Thank you. Gerlinda, thoughts on this? We're almost ready for our predictions around the crystal ball, but I just want to get your last thoughts on what Richard just shared. Yeah, so big data, and I love this, this comment, big da- uh, data is the new currency. That's, uh, that's definitely true, and, and big data and how to, how to mine it and how to analyze it to find, uh, find out about how to tweak advertisements and whatever towards uh, people. That's, that's definitely happening. Um, and there is definitely a lot of intelligence in that big data, too. So uh, I love that comment. Okay. Hillel Zafir, any comments on Richard's statement? I, I agree with that. That's a very good line. The data is a new currency, and uh, we see it every single day. I mean, a good example of that would be, uh, you know, Bitcoin is nothing but data. It's nothing there. It's just uh, something that I want, and uh, you have it, and I'll pay for it. So there's definitely a, a, that point, that part of it. That the, the more the more data comes online in whatever form they may be, uh, and like I said, we may not know the, the value of it today, but if someone holds on to it, uh, it could be valuable, and that's something that uh, really needs to be looked into. Thank you very much, Gerlinda. I'm going to circle back to you. I can give you, let's see, why don't we start with 90 seconds apiece for predictions. So if we fast forward to the year 2020 or any time you can see clearly in the crystal ball, Gerlinda, what would we be saying differently? Will we still be talking about data security breaches? Will we still be talking about the anagrams for cybersecurity? Will we still be talking about advanced persistent threats, zero-day exploits, and the black market for selling software vulnerabilities? Gerlinda, 90 seconds, go. Yes, well, uh, APTs in zero days and that market will not go away. I think we'll still see that. Um, what we will see is also that a lot of research into this kind of security and also into the security of sensors and cybersecurity has gone into. But what we will also see is that we ourselves have become more knowledgeable. If you just think about smart wearables, um, 
soon, and that, that might be 2020, um, if you're wearing a, a smart wearable device in your clothes, um, many, many other people in this, on this planet will do that, and then you will know at any point in time about where everybody is and what they are doing, and you might even be knowing that faster than any intelligence agency on the planet. Oh, interesting. Okay, I'll have to be careful where I go after the show then. No, I'm not wearing any wearables yet. We've done several shows on that. Now we're going to have to be careful where we take our data transmission. Hillel Zafir, I'm going to give you a full 90 seconds for predictions. What do you see in the crystal ball, Hillel? So I see the this uh, collection of data, uh, whether it be through IoT or uh, wearables, and uh, soon to have my refrigerator ordering milk for me when I run low, um, we're going to start seeing the consumption of the data uh, and the collection of the data is going to start residing within more siloed companies. So uh, larger companies that uh, produce this data and mine that data, uh, we'll start uh, uh, gathering all that. And um, I can, it co- it'll come a point where everything about me, uh, every, and, I say, and I mean everything, down to the color of the socks I like to wear, or whenever I walk down the aisle and pick up a, a, a product from the shelf, uh, will be almost anticipated by retailers, uh, anticipated by marketers. Um, it may be exciting that I'll, you know, I, I may get to, uh, if, if the algorithm doesn't work well enough, it may be boring because it'll start recommending things to me that again and again. Uh, but I look to a day where I don't have to decide anymore what I need. I just walk into a, to a store, uh, just walk down the aisle, and the shopping cart will almost drive itself and fill up for me based on what I need. So I can get lazier and lazier by the minute. You don't really want that, Hillel. Come on. You want to be able to pick your own. I don't, but if that's what we're going to. I absolutely do not want that. But, you know, as the the data out there is is recommending for me as simple as an ad on my webpage, it's going to start recommending to me based on my uh, lifestyle or my health uh, habits or how much I exercise what and where I should do. So we're going to start getting used to it. My kids at this point in time, they can't live without an iPad. They can't live without an iPhone because that's who they are. I can disconnect and I can figure out what to do. But for them, this is their life. This is who they are. And as we get used to more and more recommendations by these large data companies, we're going to become, I wouldn't say the word lazy, but recommendations will be uh, uh, given to us rather than us making them. Okay. <laughs> Richard McCammon, you're going to be picking out your own socks in five years. Go ahead, Richard. Predictions, I'll give you exactly. Oh, I give you 60 seconds. Go ahead, Richard. Not a problem. So uh, my prediction is that, that because humans are so fallible, that we're ultimately, in order to be able to, to uh, approach any of these cybersecurity issues in the future, we're going to have to get artificial intelligence involved. So AI is going to become a big part of the, the Internet. We're already seeing that in some of the things that we're doing as far as filtering out spam and the others, but it's going to get smarter and smarter and it's going to get more ubiquitous. The, the only way we can stop humans from making mistakes is to try and cover them from other ways, and that's the artificial intelligence side. So my prediction is that we're going to see more and more AI coming into our world. We're going to see it in the filtering. We're going to see it in spam. We're going to see it telling us what we should be doing and fixing so that if there is a, a password left on a, on a router open, it'll, it'll monitor that and tell us about it all so that we can continue to close these gaps on, on cybersecurity. The problem with that is the moment you start having a program, artificial intelligence is nothing but a program, 
then there are going to be people hacking into the artificial intelligence. And so we just keep building and building on the same problem all the time. Mm, that sounds like a tautology going around in circles or circular reasoning or just never getting off that treadmill. We call it the rat race. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Gerlinda Zabolski from SAP, Halel Zafir from HMS Technology Group, and Richard McCammon from Delego Software. Interesting conversation. Thank you to Karen Geraldo. We haven't seen you in a while, Karen. Thank you for joining me on Twitter. Anybody wants to check out the tweets, go to hashtag SAP Radio. Been another interesting conversation here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. And a shout-out, as always, to Brad Comer, our engineer extraordinaire, for getting us on the air and keeping us there for the past hour. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Whether or not it has a sensor in it is up to you. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Halal. Thank you, Golinda. Hope we'll stay in touch. And everybody, we'll see you next week on Game Changers Radio. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. Have a great week.